that say to you? Well, I definitely am a shy person in groups. Mm -hmm. And so it, I think it was just saying, come forward a little. That's beautiful. Yeah. So your unconscious is saying to you, come forward a little bit. So maybe today you can put yourself out there a little bit more, asking questions, things like that. Yeah. What else? Oh, everyone's so shy. Come on. Fighting lobsters. You had a dream fighting lobsters? No, they were fighting each other. Uh-huh. What does that say to you? I have no idea. Mm. Stop eating seafood? <laughs> <laughs> I would actually write that down and see what comes up. I mean, it's very interesting. The language of the unconscious, it's really powerful, and it's very actually linear, and everyone has their own language around it. So if you just pay attention to these things, pay attention to the feelings that come up. It's not always intellectual knowledge. You can go look it up and look at some Jungian dream book and be like, lobster means your great, great aunts. But usually it's your own language. So just sit with it emotionally. Okay, so that's pretty good. So can you feel that anxiety in your body? Where? Uh, here. Great. So as we sit today, as we do a couple of these meditations, just breathe into that and see what comes up. Interesting thing about the lobster, right? The hard shell and the soft inside. So when you say lobster, the first thing that pops up is that. Mm -hmm. This very rigid external barrier and this very soft, meaty, which is most of us. Yeah, at the end, actually, I, I boiled one and I ate it. Way to go, man. <laughs> Transformation. I love it. I love it. What else? Don't remember. Don't remember? No. That's good. That's I'm not good at remembering my dreams. Sometimes, but... It's really interesting. I used to do this Jungian dream work, and I had the same issue. I could never dream. I mean, I never remembered. We all dream. And one of the things that's really helpful is to actually put a, either pen and paper, but now you have these recorders. It's actually easier. Mm -hmm. Putting that intent in there next to your bed, is, it helps. You can actually bring stuff up. When we're in these times of really deep transformation like we're going through right now, it's amazing how powerful dreams are. And dreams are usually of two kinds. One is internal life, and one is actually future-looking, like it's going to tell you. I've had times in my life where I was going through a lot of pain, and some of these dreams were actually specifically would come true in a day or two. So there's really no time on that realm. And we all do it, right? It's nothing like special. We all have this gift that we do if we tap into it. So it's like anything else. If it's important to you, you tap into it. What else? Any questions about yesterday? I had a funny dream. I had a sexual dream. All right. <laughs> now we're talking. <laughs> Bring it on. What was your sexual dream? <laughs> finally, finally, we get into some real work here. I don't know what it's work. Oh, it's work. Young guy sitting next to me, and I felt very uncomfortable, like I wasn't going to be with him. And I don't think this is the reason, but he exposed himself, <clears throat> and he had this very long penis. Mm -hmm. And it ended up that we ended up making love, and he was very sweet. Mm. And then um, I remember thanking the person who introduced me. And then there was a big building like this, but round, and I, I kept seeing it throughout the night. I would come in this big, and it was empty. And he would keep coming into it a couple of times? or Yeah. Hmm. So I would just keep seeing this big, empty building. So I had both the sexual one and the building one. That's really powerful. What does that say to you? The building one? This, the first, the, the man. The man? I, I, I wasn't sure, really. I mean, I know that I was afraid, which is my normal state in mm -hmm. being with men. And he was younger, mm -hmm. so it was new energy, maybe. 
Anima and animus. So these dreams are all aspects of ourselves, right? When they're not these external dreams where you're actually processing something, a dream like that is a classic anima animus, your yin and your yang. So the fear is the fear of actual connection with that aspect of yourself. The penis, the large penis, is actually a sign of the life force, right? It's a symbolism for the life force, for that male life force. So remember what we talked about yesterday? We talked about this idealized image, this mask that we all wear. That mask that makes us survive our childhood keeps that energy away. So for most of us, when things aren't being manifested in our lives that we want, relationships, but it's all because that idealized self-image is keeping it away. So what's happening there is the fear is because that mask is opening up, that life force comes in, that young, youthful energy comes in. And the round is very interesting. You know, traditionally in the West, everything is square. Square, in traditional cultures, you don't have square because square energy can't flow. So when you do a nipi, when you do a tipi, it's all circular because the energy flows. Yurts, they're, they're very circular. It reminded me of a yurt, but there were windows. Beautiful. But it's also the, the womb, right? It's also, when you say that, I get it's the womb. It's the divine feminine. It's that, and it's empty. And that's very profound, right? What we're really all seeking with our meditation, with all the things we're doing, is to empty stuff out. Spirituality is not about gaining. It's about losing. That's really lost on this culture. So we get to the place where we kind of keep putting stuff in. I'm going to do this workshop. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. That's not spirituality. That's the ego just fortifying itself. So what we were talking about yesterday, if you have a needle in your arm shooting dope, you know you got troubles. If you're doing nine workshops at Omega, you're doing this, then you're doing the shadow minus the heat, then you're doing shadow, that's cold. Then you, all that stuff is just mental masturbation. One of the reasons that I wrote this book was that, of sitting with people for 25 years and observing how it's amazing how we'll use anything to hide. Spirituality is really difficult to see because you're doing spiritual work. So that dream I would actually write down because it's very profound. And aspects of it are really important, right? So the youthful energy, the fact that you were afraid of it. So one thing that we don't understand, this thing that I, that's talking to you and this ears that's listening, that's 10% right now. And you're pretty deep people here. You've done work on yourselves. You're very conscious, sentient beings. 90% is unconscious. Even if you're a therapist, you're a psychic, you're blah, 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 blah. 10% conscious, 90% unconscious. What we're trying to do through this work is to tap into that unconscious. That conscious stuff doesn't touch that unconscious, right? I cannot take a shower, the unconscious. I can wear the nicest clothes. People come around and be like, dude, you really kind of smell ripe. No, but I'm wearing really nice clothes. I keep changing the clothes. I'm not, you actually smell worse than last week because I haven't taken a shower for 48 years. That's the unconscious. So we keep changing this. Wow, you got to see this Italian tailor I got. He's awesome. Giuseppe, he's beautiful. Dude, you stink. That's how you know that your unconscious is active, by that stench, by the things that aren't working in your life. Capish? Questions? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to ask a question. Please do. So I'd like to ask a question about, um, it's a little difficult to formulate, but why, um, like we're, we're born on this earth and we seem to spend, well, people like you in this room seem to spend most of our lives trying to get out of it. 
This woman is carrying for all of us this pain and this opening. So the stuff that she was talking about last night about the anger, that's all of us and that part of us that we're not feeling. And this question is at the crux of what we're talking about this weekend. So did you hear what she said? Why, are, why don't we want to be here? In spiritual work, the way it's been handed down to us, the ascetic life, I'm not going to have a relationship, I'm not going to have sex. That might be one in 10 million people. These are all defense mechanism, mechanisms towards pain. The idea of spiritual work, for me, is so you can actually be in pleasure here. You give up a lot to be in these meat suits, right? And you don't want to be here. So it's like you gave up your weekend. You have this really nice home somewhere. You got maids cooking for you, cleaning, blah, 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 anything you want. And you come to Omega. And the whole time you're like, Jesus, I don't want to go to this room. I don't want to go to this room. That's like this life. You forget your big nature. You take on this meat suit to have this experience of duality, this limited experience. And the whole time you're resistant. So we use everything to feed that. So the work, the real work, the, the, the basic idea is to actually get to a place of serenity so you can be here without resistance. But why are we resisting? We're resisting because we were afraid. So it goes back to what we were talking about. Remember what I said. When you have a spiritual experience, you say, I'm God. Bullshit. You can't be God. When you say to me, and God is a very tricky word, the divine. When you say to me, the divine is me, that's the experience of unity. Right? So people do ayahuasca, people do all these experiences to have that experience of oneness. When you're in duality, that thing that goes back and forth is a deliciousness. Right? We have, like, if we all remember we're one, it really wouldn't be interesting to look at each other, right? I don't really look, stand here and look at my fingers. But I might look at your fingers, I might look at your fingers, it's interesting to me. My fingers, they're me, they're boring. So the one becomes the three, becomes the 10,000 things, as the Taoists say. So we're in this split energy to experience each other. But there's an anxiety underneath that. This is what I was saying yesterday. We've hyper-individuated over lifetimes, lifetimes, and this culture over one lifetime. So we're so far away from remembering our source. So that's that feeling of anxiety. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Because you don't remember that you're one. So one of the things, as you get at least a little bit closer to remembering it, a lot of anxiety and fear falls away. So all day long, we're protecting ourselves. We're picking up another piece of armor to protect ourselves. So that fear, that not wanting to be here, is the forgetfulness that you're already all one. But those are words. I can say to you, hey, you. <laughs> well, it sounds great till you do the work around it. Well, so much comes at you every day. You know, you, you have that mind, you have that intention, but you know, you get up in the morning, you have the intention, then you know, you get whammy. But a lot of things come at you. So, but yeah, I guess if you keep that in mind, it helps you with all the obstacles. But it doesn't because it's not about the mind. It will initially, mm -hmm. right? But if someone comes and slaps you right away it goes away. It has to be direct experience. So that's a good thing to talk about right now. Knowledge versus wisdom. A lot of what we're doing here, one of the things that I learned watching a lot of young boys die with the whole AIDS epidemic, is that knowledge 
means nothing. When death comes knocking on your door, those of you who've done ayahuasca or different experiences, you can have real great knowledge. Your asanas are perfect, you understand, you've read Kabir's work. When death comes knocking on your door, which means when the ego starts shutting down, it's absolutely a terrifying experience. So the thing that us sitting here in this beautiful room with this lovely energy of people don't really realize, we're scared all the time. Our whole life is based on defending against that illusion that you're separate. So you're a soap bubble, you think that soap bubble is you, and you're doing everything that soap bubble doesn't touch anything. Oh my God, if that's soap bubble, but you're actually not the soap bubble. You're the thing inside the soap bubble and the thing outside the soap bubble. Right? So the psychological work is about giving you wisdom instead of knowledge. Now, we can all sit here and be like, you guys are race car drivers, huh? Okay. I've been racing since I was a little kid. I can jump behind a car and do 160 miles an hour because after 30 years, my mind has learned how to handle that kind of speed. You guys be like, yeah, I can do that because you've done it on a video game. I'll put you in a car. Maybe one of you or two of you will survive the first quarter mile. I guarantee you all of you are going to wad that car right away because the knowledge is, hey, man, I can do it. I read a book, Bob Bondurant Racing. It's really easy. The wisdom is in your body. Your ass is reading everything. Your hand's reading everything. The car does this, you do that. The car does this, you do that. It's not a thinking. It's a bodily felt sensation. So that meditation that I was trying to share with you that we're going to do some more today is to drop into the body. Remember, this meat suit, million and a half years old. This brain, 200. So what people confuse in this culture is knowledge for wisdom. And there's so much knowledge. And Look, you're going to be here, hopefully all of you, full lives, 80 years, 90 years. You've got to do something. So it's not about just like going and smelling flowers. You can do that. might get boring. Maybe not. Enjoy the knowledge. But again, this is what I was saying to you yesterday. Play as a free being. Don't be enslaved. Don't think that that's going to give you something you already don't have. There's so many different things in this institution here. There are amazing things being offered right now. Right? There's great classes on this, great classes on that. But remember that that's knowledge, not wisdom. Once it goes into your body, it can become wisdom. Come on in, grab, it, grab a chair, guys. Come on in. There's one there, and I think there's one back there, yeah. I love it, a pregnant woman. Yeah, baby, bring it on. We, we got the blessing. Come over here, come on, come in a circle. There's places here. See, for them, they have wisdom because they come late because they know it's a lot of bullshit here. So <laughs> you guys have knowledge. You came on time and early. There's room here. Come on up. <laughs> no one wants to sit next to the bald guy. This is how it is, man. Racism is alive and well in America. Right? <laughs> So are we clear about that knowledge and wisdom thing? Welcome, you two. One thing that actually, for the three of you that were in here yesterday, we're writing down our intentions because we're going to do a fire ceremony later. I know for you, you were saying you weren't really clear because you wanted to do it. You felt you made the intention too direct. You wanted, That's fine. Just keep something blank. But the fire ceremony would be really nice to share this energy. So at the end, we can share all of our energies by doing a fire and burning it. So before you go today, just either write something down. And usually, 
how it works for me is I write something I want to pull in, something I want to release. And the intent that I always keep for these things is to burn away what doesn't serve us, to help us remember who we are. And like I said yesterday, the piece that I've added to it recently is to do it in a gentle manner. So, so it doesn't become, <laughs> you walk out of here and run into a state trooper and punch him and get arrested. And, you know, <laughs> typical things that someone like him does. <laughs> so knowledge, wisdom, questions about that? Knowledge, I can swim. You throw me in the Hudson River, <laughs> oh boy. Wisdom, I've swam since I was a kid because I've been in pools. You throw me in the river, much better chance. People really confuse wisdom with knowledge. Now remember what we talked about yesterday. Intellectuals. Intellectuals go and become intellectuals usually as a defense mechanism against pain. So that's a classic place where you see all that knowledge hasn't become wisdom because you stay up here because you don't want to drop in here. While we're talking about this, I'll just say this. People who are awake, for whatever word you use, there's two types. You got your guy or woman who works on the flowers outside and you just know they're connected but they don't know they're connected. And it's a very beautiful thing. You kind of sit with them. It's kind of a simplicity there. And to me, what people in this room are aiming for is to wake up, but still have enough of an ego to know you're awake. That makes the game a lot more fun when you can play as a free being. Tricky business, but actually much more clean. It's the, it is fun, parts of it. I can't say I live in that space, but. There are parts or times when I've done that, it's incredibly freeing. But it goes back to what Philomena was talking about, which is all those feelings, all those fears, those things have to be worked through. And there'll be certain issues. You might really be in that space at your work because none of that stuff comes up. But when it comes to a relationship, you couldn't get laid if you had a fistful of pardons in a women's prison or a men's prison because you're so frightened of that. So it goes back to what we we're talking about. That the reason we do all this work, from my perspective, isn't to do anything huge. It's just to get in the way, get out of the way, the things that get in the way of you remembering who you are. Storing information has nothing to do about it. Doesn't do anything. Now it really might be that you have to burn that karma out. For me, I went to a, like I was telling you yesterday. I went to a different spiritual teacher every day of the week. I was a drug addict. I stopped using drugs, I started using spirituality. Did that for years. That was a part of my process. Did I learn anything? The only thing that I learned was everything I'm telling you now, which is I didn't learn anything because it made me more distant from myself. I learned cool things. So it goes back to the other thing we're talking about. Phenomenal world, absolute. You remember that? Absolute being who you really are before you're born, while you're meditating, your true nature. Phenomenal is everything we're doing. In this culture, we really confuse that. We think that if we gather phenomenal information, it's going to bring on the absolute. It's really not true. Awakening is about taking away, not adding. Now, maybe that's your karma. Maybe we need to go to 10 martial arts teachers and do 10 things, and one day you're like, whoa. But when you read the awakening of a lot of these masters, it wasn't from gathering. It was this moment of giving up. That's where getting crushed by life is the ultimate teacher. When you can say, ow, when you tap out, the experience you're having, that's when you're really most honest. Let me read you something, talking about honesty. Any questions? Damn, you guys are so good. You just know everything. That's great. I 
thing coming. Tell me. I was doing your breathing from the meditation, that deep breathing with the counting in the back of the car while they were driving. Uh-huh. And all of a sudden, I felt like I was, I could feel like I was pulling my last breath, like as I was dying. It was very weird. It made me a little afraid. I love that. That what that, the reason we don't breathe, the reason, the first thing that we do when we're little to shut down the breathing is exactly that. Because what you're tapping into, we're going to actually do a little dying experience today. I'm going to invite Dr. Kevorkian in here, and you're all going to get injections. <laughs> and that experience is really powerful. Actually, we'll do that soon before you get tired, because everybody falls asleep. Ramana Maharshi, which was to me, like my, there's two homeboys. They're awesome. You've got you to read these two books if you read them before you die. And they actually have, they have them in, in the library. Besides my book, of course, which is like just so much better than their books, because it's just um, Nisargadatta Maharaj, I Am That, which a lot of places don't carry. And I saw that in that bookstore. I'm like, man, this is awesome. This is like, this bookstore is really killer. And the other one is any of the Ramana Maharshi books, Be As You Are is my favorite by David Godman. Um, but really, like, they're so beautiful. And what's interesting about them is that they're total opposites. Right? Ramana Maharshi is the Beatles. I love you, man. It's all good. Nisargadatta is Sid Vicious. Oi! Bam! Angry, pissed off. He's like a pissed off old man, smoking beaties. But the truth that comes out of this guy is very profound. The interesting thing about Nisargadatta is that he wasn't educated. As they say, some people say it's not true. But the stuff that comes out of him is such fire. Very thick book. You can't really read more than one or two pages a day. That experience you had at the back of the car, you read a page or two of that, every day is that experience. It's just like burns into you. The energy is so direct. And the guy who translated, Maurice Friedman, sometime read about his life. That guy was this amazing, amazing sage that no one even recognizes in this culture. The guy knew everyone from Gandhi. I mean, worked with these people, Ramana Maharshi, Krishnamurti. Like, he's a whole trip. So that whole thing is this very interesting uh, little... Let me tell you a story about him. I love these little magic stories. Like, I always loved them since I was a kid because it does make you realize there is this connection out there. So Maurice Friedman was this guy, very intelligent guy. He gave up a lot. He came to India. He basically renounced everything. He had lost his family to the Nazis. He was from Poland. And he's done all this work. He had actually worked with one of the Rajas in getting freedom in Arun province. Met Gandhi, was very helpful with Krishnamurti, and met Ramana Maharshi. And one of the things that he was saying when he met Ramana Maharshi, actually I'll read you a little quote from him, is how scared we are about doing the work. When he had nothing, because he had renounced everything, he had actually given all his fees away when, when he was working as a factory, running a factory. When he was dying, as someone who had nothing, Ramana Maharshi had already died, I think like 10, 15 years earlier. This woman knocks on his door. She's a nurse. She comes in, he's very invalid, and says, I'm, I, I got a dream, I had a dream, this old man told me to come here to help you. And of course, being him, no, thank you very much, thank you, you can leave now. The woman's like really hurt as she's leaving. She's like, that's the guy, that's the guy who came in the dream. Guess who the guy was? It was a picture of Ramana Maharshi. The old man in the diaper. The old man in a diaper. That's the beauty of these things, right? It's all one. So these stories is like, wow, on one level it's all, oh, yeah. Yeah, I actually understand. Nisargadatta, which was this homeboy that I'm talking about, actually was with him. When, when he died. I mean, like, amazing guy. These are these masters that are behind. These are the, these are, these are, to me, these are the real cats. They're not out there seeking this or that. They're not, not that Ramana Maharshi was or Nisargadatta was, but these guys were like these real masters. You don't even hear about them. Read up on his life. 
Let me read you something actually that he said. I really, I'm so in awe of this man. Love him. Maurice Friedman. So if you get I am that, he's the one who actually did the translation work. He actually was talking about, he was very sad when Maharshi died that he didn't do enough work. Now here's a guy who lost his whole family. His whole life was about service. Like he really did the work. And this is what he says. Just to show you like how off we are. Don't let it bum me out because by the end of this weekend I'll get you there. But <laughs> We ripen when we refuse to drift. When striving ceaselessly becomes a way of life. When this passion born of insight becomes spontaneous. When the search, who am I, becomes the only thing that matters. When we become a mere torch and the flame all important. It will mean that we're ripening fast. We cannot accelerate that ripening. Okay, so that's the first thing right here. We cannot accelerate that ripening, but we can remove the obstacles of fear and greed, indolence and fancy, prejudice and pride. It is tamas and rajas, fear and desire, that stand in the way. The desire of the pleasure of the past and the fear of austere responsibility of a higher state of being. It was the same old story, the threshold of maturity of mind and heart, which most refused to cross. So if I can put like pretty much everybody in this room in that category, because you know, we know, it's that part that just, we just don't want to cross. And it's okay if you don't want to cross, if you're not crossing it as a free being. You ever have this experience where you want to control something? Like you're really hungry, you're like, I'm going to do one more thing before I eat. I'm going to do one more thing before I eat. Or you got to pee, you're like, I'm going to do this one more thing before I pee. It's fun. It's like this sort of negative pleasure. It's challenging, but it's actually pleasurable. It's like you just, it's just like anal retentive part of us. Like, I'm not going to do that yet, I'm going to do one more thing. I got to drive up, but I'm going to do one more thing, one more call, one more patient. It's like this, <laughs> that's this. That's fine if you're doing it as a free being. Again, remember, there's no right or wrong. Right? There is no right or wrong. There's actions that have consequences. Really no right or wrong. As long to me as you're not hurting somebody else, because then there's whole karmic consequences. But as long as you're doing, as long as you're clear about it, that 90% unconscious that we're talking about, that's the thing that stops you from being conscious <coughs> about this. There was this story of Padre Pei in Italy, this amazing master, right? The guy was doing all this crazy stuff. There was all these like, crazy stories about him. This is one story where these bombers were going to bomb this village. Um, and uh, the Allies were going to bomb it. And there was American or Engl English bombers. And the Germans had already moved out. So there was no way to communicate with these pilots to say, don't bomb us. And there's a story of these pilots saying, Padre Pia was fl flying next to us in those robes going, oh, they've already gone. They've already gone. Don't bomb us. Don't bomb us. <laughs> This is the kind of cat this guy was. So there's this reporter. And he spends, I think, a year or like nine months to get to this man. Pulls all the strings. He's gonna, he wants to do a, like a little reporting thing, but he's really going for his own spiritual growth. After nine months, he gets to the door, literally to the door. And he writes, honestly, in that moment, I realize that I'm not ready to change. I can't do this. Because if I walk through that door, I'm not going to be the same person. And he walks away. You know what? I kissed that guy's ass over 10,000 monks, nuns, spiritual aspirants. Honesty. His game is not over. 
but he knows it. That man will awaken because he knows where he is, as opposed to hiding behind a mask of spirituality, which this culture is a master at. Yeah? Mm-hmm. I know I'm getting a rush out of this one more thing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. You're getting a rush out of this? Like that's as long as it's conscious. But here's the thing. There comes to a point, like, it's like doing drugs. Right? When I used to shoot drugs, anybody that tells you drugs aren't fun, let me tell you. Full of shit. You obviously haven't done drugs. <laughs> but that's why people do them. But I've buried half of my friends at the time, and they were like 18, 19 years old. So there's a consequence to that action. So you always do that, and you always, and, and drug addicts, you know, you do that extra little shot, you just a little extra dope, a little bit extra coke, because you want to have that thing. There's a consequence to that. So you can be conscious. At one point, you are going to push that plunger in, and you're not going to wake up. So, yes, you want to play as a free being, but be aware of what that limit is. So if your thing is this negative pleasure of, like, I'm going to make three more phone calls before I get in my car, just as long as you're aware of it, it's great. If that three, four more phone calls make you tired and then you hit a deer and kill yourself and leave your partner behind. So you are playing a Russian roulette with this stuff. So be aware of it. But at some point when the pain is big enough. Now, if you're doing that, it's not painful. It's not hurting anyone. It's not hurting you. Be aware. Is it painful or not? Because a lot of the times it comes out of anxiety. It comes out of wanting to be a control freak. You have no control over everything. Again, if you can admit that, we're all good. Questions? What the hell is he talking about? That happens a lot. Okay, so I want to read another. Remember that letter that I read you last night from that woman? with all the awakening and pain. I read this letter from this client that I was working with who had really hit this wall. And really spiritual work, real spiritual work, is when your ass is on the ground like that. Other times you kind of dress in the pig and putting lipsticks on it, putting nice clothes on it. Still a pig. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with pigs. Smart. Pigs are very smart. Yeah, and they eat their own shit. So... <laughs> So, no, yeah, we're, it's, yeah, we're, we're, we're going past judgment. We'll, we'll be PC today and not pass judgment on pigs. Um, anyway, all judgment is judgment about ourselves. So obviously, if I'm saying a pig eats shit, it means I eat shit. So that's pretty accurate. <laughs> this is another letter, very honest letter. Really, my hope for you is that you can hit these places in your life without going through a windshield of a car, without getting a life-challenging illness, without having your heart ripped open by a loved one. That's really the most honest thing that I can hope for you. But knowing that your jackass is like I am, most likely you're going to go through a windshield of a car, two by four upside your head, or heartbreak. It's very difficult to open up till we're ripped wide open. When you show up to a seminar like this, a gathering like this, it's not about me, it's not about a seminar, it's not even about Omega, although a lot of people come to this space looking for something. These intentions are real. We've lost that understanding in our culture. You can come here, write your name, not even show up. Transformation will happen in your life. Because the conscious and unconscious have made a pact. It's time to change. You can speed it up. You can slow it down. So part of hopefully what we'll learn 
over this weekend is what are the things that slow down and what are the things that speed it up? What speeds it up <clears throat> for this man might slow down for me. He might need to do three hours of meditation. Whereas for me, I've used meditation as a way of numbing myself. So I can meditate and actually get more rigid. He might meditate and have profound spiritual experiences and open up and release. Remember, there's no cookie cutter. My way is not your way. Your way is not anybody else's way. Be very conscious when you take on these teachers and start looking for repeating their way. Remember your blind spot. You're actually seeking your teachers because of your parental projections. <clears throat> if you had a betrayal issue with your parents, like somebody in this room, <laughs> you're going to repeat that with men who do that. So there's that story I was telling you yesterday with this native Indian teacher and he fucks one of my friends and she's pregnant and he doesn't want to deal with it. And that misconduct, I was very blind to it. Whereas other people were like, well, you didn't see that? The guy was totally weird, man. He was just totally checking out chicks all the time. He didn't see it. Oh, no, I didn't see that. Because my need to have my parents to be perfect made me project perfection on this man. I was 22 years old. I'm going to give myself a break. I would see that now. But we all do that all the time. Same thing. You might meet a teacher and be like, I fucking hate this woman. I cannot believe. Oh, that you definitely need to study with that person. Even if you just go for once. To be like, what is that thing of anger? So the things that you run towards usually are actually things you shouldn't be doing. The things that you push against are actually things that will go soften you a little bit. You're looking confused. Let's well, uh, well, I think just in general, excess in anything mm -hmm. is not a good idea. Absolutely. You know? So I think to put it absolute, and you should always do what you don't like, um, doesn't sound such a great idea to me. I didn't um, say, I didn't I say. I think it measures probably. You should probably question why you reject something or someone. Right. Absolutely. There's but you shouldn't necessarily, you know, go into a state of um, suffering and do what you hate just for the sake of it. Right? You should never do anything for the sake of suffering. Right. If you're around a person that brings on suffering, you need to examine that. There is no right or wrong. Remember what I'm saying. Like, if something irritates you about what I say, maybe I'm totally off. Maybe you need to examine what is inside of you. I'm not selling you anything here. And there's, ne there's never an always. So if I said always, forgive me. There's never an always. But what I'm saying is, for example, there are people who are really comfortable meditating. So they will go to 10 meditation. Maybe they need to do body work. Maybe they really hate to be touched. This is, so this is one example. Should you, should, there, there's no must. If you're very comfortable meditating, that means your ego is very comfortable in that state. So you say explore other things. Explore other things. Be open to the, to, to the possibility that maybe if something's really comfortable, there's a reason it's really comfortable. That maybe you've reached a certain level. So maybe you're going to get some body work that you don't like. It brings up these feelings. Then you meditate. Then you can actually process those feelings. The human ego will want to make itself safe no matter what. That's my point. So, no, there's no always, no experiences, whatever experience. But if you think that waking up is going to come without suffering, in my experience of 25 years, it doesn't, doesn't happen. And do I like suffering? Believe me, I'm the biggest pampy-mampy. I, I hate suffering. But because I hate suffering, life's pummeled me so many times. And I don't wish that on anyone. But those were the only things that changed me. It wasn't my teacher's. It was having a nervous breakdown because of the betrayal of a marriage, because I walked into a situation knowing fully, well, this is not good for me, but my junkie self wanted to replay 
being the hero savior. Life teaches you. Spiritual stuff is interesting. Play around with it. It might make you a little bit more attuned to what you're doing. But your work is your life. And in this time, like we talked about yesterday, life is knocking on all of our doors. And we're actually either getting more rigid or we're getting pummeled and more open. Which goes back to that knowledge wisdom. Wisdom really comes from suffering almost always. Real wisdom usually comes from deep work or suffering. Someone who's really suffered. When we're talking about, I'm going to do this little death experience later. There's a couple of people in here who've almost died from serious illness. Or have had to face death from that. They're going to have a very different experience than you. There's a wisdom they've had, but actually been like, oh my God, I actually might die from this. Than us doing this sort of trying to get a feeling of what it's like that life's impermanent. Okay, so this is the letter. Can I ask one more question? Oh, please, please. Yeah. It sounds like you're saying that attraction is only about the unconscious negative attraction. Isn't there also unconscious positive? No, absolutely, absolutely. So I, I, I didn't explain that right. There can be positive attraction, it can be negative attraction. Usually both at the same time, which gets more confusing. Negative pleasure. So let's go over that part. Negative pleasure. We have a painful experience as a child. We attach pleasure to it to survive it. So later on in adult life, we're actually attracted to things that don't feed us. So that's a negative aspect of it. There's also positive pleasure. There's things that you really got positive a bonding with a parent that was really positive. So you can actually be giving care from a positive place. It, the reason it all sounds negative, what we're talking about, is I'm talking about the shadow aspects. There is something called a golden shadow, which is actually a repression of the positive aspects. Young used to talk about it, so it's not always like negative, negative, negative. The golden shadow is like, you know, I can really be a great healer. And my mom was like, don't you dare, that's ridiculous. Healing isn't real, be a businessman. That's my golden shadow being repressed. So I have this thing to offer to the universe, but because it was shameful, I should. But these things are very intricate, complex, so never it's one thing. So what Gisela said is absolutely right. It's never one thing. What you're saying is absolutely right. It's very. But just to explain myself, I'm going into these aspects that we don't really look at in this culture, and it tends to be negative. So what I said to you yesterday is this stuff's not pleasant. Right? When people go like, woo, we're doing shadow work this weekend. I'm like, wow. <laughs> I don't know what you're taking because I want to take that. What you said yesterday is absolutely correct. It's very brave to come to this. It's not about me. Everyone that's sitting here, just the idea that we're going to examine these things that we don't look at in the culture. On top of it, you live in a culture that does not honor the shadow. Where do we honor the shadow here? We honor the shadow with Halloween, maybe. We honor the shadow with like horror movies and scary things like that. And we honor the shadow by this weird fascination we all have by reading about these horrible murders and rapes and hideous things that happen in the news. Where we have to say, oh, let me, let me read this, let me read this. Why do people love horror movies? It's where the shadow comes out. For me, I've never been able to sit through one. I was like, man, I have enough anxiety and pain. I, I don't really understand the pleasure of like, sitting in that and being like, ah, like, I'm already like that all the time. <laughs> but it has a function. Now, when I was a kid in Africa, in Nigeria, one of the ways people work with the shadow was they would make masks. They would have scary dances. I remember as a kid like, watching this stuff, really intrigued be dark, they'd be drumming, fire, I was like, there's something going on here. It scares me, I'm intrigued, I don't know, the smells are different. That's a way of bringing the shadow out. But is Africa and that thing just works with the shadow? Well, just ask the Tutsi and the Hutus, it doesn't quite work that way either, because they also bloodlet and kill each other by millions. 
Everyone does. That's the shadow also. Remember what we talked about. What we don't own, we project out. So as Americans, for us right now, it's those damn dirty Arabs. For those damn dirty Arabs, it's us Americans. The immigrants. Immigrant. It, 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 well, it, it's terrible, but you have to understand it because we don't, we don't want to own it. Right, so you got those farmers with their guns hanging out, like Kevin with his 30-06, having like fun shooting people. It's like incredible. That's the shadow. But look at what we've done in this culture, right? It was the immigrants. So we've had the Italians. There were the Irish, the Germans, Japanese. Beautiful. Chinese. But, but it's a nature of that because we try to keep it very polished. This cult, our culture is amazing. Right? We don't really own it. Yes, the people in this room, remember... I'm not talking politics. I'm just talking examine it. The Vietnam thing. We've done some like crazy ass shit. The Iraq thing, the Afghanistan thing. That's the shadow. When it's not owned, it gets very hideous. When it's repressed like our culture is. Rah, rah, rah. We're number one. We're number one. The shadow is correspondingly as huge as this persona is light. The more light there is in here, my shadow is going to be bigger. That image Young had was very, very interesting. And remember what we talked about. The shadow has got no color, no smell. You can't grasp it. It's always connected to you. It moves where you move. That's our culture. We are, in this culture, we're the masters of that. But every culture, right? Look at Germany, decimating 8 million people. That's the shadow. Look at the Japanese, Zen. Do you understand? I don't know if you know this. The top Zen masters in Japan in the 40s were pro-war. Now, you say to yourself, this is a Zen master, mostly men, all men, patriarchal culture. These cats are sitting down, meditating, reading the Buddha's word. Buddha wasn't really talking about chopping heads or samurai swords, best that I know. These guys were pro-war. That's a fact. Read up on it. Mm -hmm. Spiritual work does not exclude. This is where, and we will get into it, spirituality and psychology are very different. This is a gift of this culture. The beauty of this culture, it really, so much of this stuff came, some of it from Europe, but America is amazing that way, just being open to that. Psychology and spirituality aren't the same. We've been sold a bill of goods. The bill of good is, you do the spiritual work, psychology takes care of itself. How many teachers do you know who've done PMS, power, money, sex? That's because psychology and spirituality are not the same thing. Then what we added yesterday, you've imported this phenomena from cultures that are very patriarchal. Parents are, oh, my parents, oh, ancestors, to a culture like ours, which is like, I can't wait to strangle my mother. <laughs> Doesn't work. But we'll get into that a little bit more later. Let me read you this letter so we can kind of drop it into our horrible feeling mode of shadow work. <sighs> Feel your bodies. So remember what we talked about yesterday. Feel your hands on your belly, wherever they are. Feel your feet. Feel your butt on the chair. And I don't want you to go quite in yet. Just stay in the room with me. Drop in while being here. Right, so this is the middle way. The, the one is just to be out without connecting. The one is being the state you're in, which is being here but being in your body, and the other one is to go really, really deep. And then always pay attention to your postures. 
The neck thing is really big. When you stick your neck out like this, this is my posture like most of my teens till I start getting rolfed. When we say you stick your neck out for people, this is abject fear. And it's also thinking, you know the thinker? The head on the hand. When your neck is out like this, it makes you cerebral physiologically. So if you're having a hard time with like being really exasperated, just pull it up a little bit, tuck it in. And you guys know Alexander Technique? Alexander Technique is really beautiful that way, it's sort of like martial arts. It's about this lifting from back here. That kind of lengthens it. So you kind of hold this up. So this really helps. This thing is a bowling ball, weighs a lot. This alone collapses everything. So when you're meditating or when you're in this state, if your chin is out, you're going to be too thinky. If you're too down, you'll go out. Just keep in that relaxed space. Some of you are deep meditators, so you do what you're doing. But for those of you who don't practice, pay attention to that. It's very profound how it shifts your consciousness. I mean, it's amazing how physiological things change things, right? So that's where diet's important. You drink three cups of coffee. It's going to be really hard to be sitting here right now. So physiology is the same thing. So back to our letter. Feel your body. And feel where you feel this. I have written this because... Even though at half past midnight, these words and sentiments feel strong and true, bravely honest even, in the day I'm brilliantly adept and fast at submerging and hiding them and still trying to convince myself that my numb, dumb, and dishonest way of living, it's so much easier and a much more viable solution for happiness and contentment. And even that I'm ashamed, angry, and disappointed with myself for feeling. So just that first part. The reason she's feeling this at night, because at night the ego starts weakening. During the day, there's so much input. What I said to you last night on our first night being here together. It's a new space. It was dark. You travel to get here. You usually don't sit in the class at 8 o'clock at night. You don't know this room. The ego is very loose. That's why we have all, the, all these fears come up at nighttime. A lot of people have panic attacks at nighttime. Already today, you've been here in this room before most of you, your ego is a little bit more fortified. You know me, like, what well, this guy, what's he going to do? It's, it's a little bit safer. So already there's going to be more work to get through your thick skulls than it was last night. So this is what she's saying about the nighttime. Everything I said about you is about me too. I got a thick skull, so don't take it personal. Isn't it slightly ridiculous and silly to fear that living within and owning all of myself, i.e. living authentically and with integrity, will bring me a life of loneliness, despair, and emptiness. But silly or not, it's true. To stop hiding scares me. Stop to stop hiding scares me. That goes back to what we we're talking about, about that idealized self-image. She knows. She's even laughing at it. That's ridiculous. It's silly. Those are words. We defend that idealized self-image at all costs. Because remember what we talked about. When you're very little and you make this mask, it's your lifehood. The person sitting in this room, the adult people sitting in this room, they can defend themselves. For that child, that's a lifeline. So this is the schism between the adult self going like something is off and that little kid going, don't you dare, don't you dare, don't you dare. This is where a lot of our running around is constantly used to make that mask stronger, not weaker. With me so far? I want to trust what I've tried to kill or dull with food, drugs, thrill-seeking, etc., and live out loud, i.e., live with integrity and spontaneity, but I'm deeply afraid and don't know quite how to do it. 
So, honestly, she's done what we all do. Someone's with food, someone's with drugs, someone's with being a healer, someone's with being a teacher, someone's being a millionaire. We use all these things to numb these things. But she is confused. She's like, not understanding still. Like, why am I afraid? Like, I know. Like, my mind knows. Why am I afraid? Again, it's about the schism between these two aspects. So the conscious mind is finally starting to go like, there's something off here. It's a big point in healing right now. And usually two things happen. Either people now dig deeper, sometimes might have a nervous breakdown, which actually is not fun for the ego, but very helpful. Don't recommend it, but it's pretty good. I've had it. Um, it's on a menu today, if you choose to have that. Um, and the other part is like that fear. Like, pff, I'm actually now, I'm going to have this feeling, now I'm going to go to 10 workshops instead of sitting with it. I'm going to go and like make some extra money and change my career. I'm going to have a new hairdo. I'm going to shave my head. I'm going to become a monk. I'm going to become a nun. So the thing to do at this point, if you come to this place, is just to sit with it. By saying just to sit with it, it's like, yeah, just go on that little tightrope thing they got up there, 50 feet above the ground. Just walk back and forth a couple of times. Scary business. Scary business. Then she goes on. I stand on the water's edge. Without the numbing force of overeating and inappropriate food, I feel the pain inside me and a slight panic by not feeling in control. I am floundering and bubbling up like brewer's yeast with anger, fear, frustration, sadness, and rage toward both myself and others and memories all around. Being gentle smacks hard and is so much more to contend with than the simple effects of being brutal and unforgiving towards myself. How ironic is that? Ironic to the conscious mind. Totally makes sense to the unconscious mind, right? Because the unconscious mind is like, if we get vulnerable, that mask comes off, you don't know what's going to happen. Let's stick what we know, right? That's our culture right now. Let's keep these wars. Let's keep drilling off. We don't know what it's going to be. You can judge it, you can, but it's an actual fear. So it's the same thing, this idealized self-image, number one, number one, not knowing that we have to change. Almost always, unless you have a profound experience, it's only when you get taken down to your knees that you change. And a lot of times even that might not work because this thing perpetuates itself. Whether you're a culture, you're a country, you're a person, that's a part of it. She ends with, I'm suggesting to my ego that the gut instincts, radars of compassion, love and sensitivity towards myself that I came into this world with are trustworthy and safe to live by. I have been denying and tuning out from my instincts for such a long time, and the fact that those instincts are now so faint yet persistent infuriates me because it's easier to listen to the loud mouth or go for the quick fix than try and decipher and codify a frequency that I can barely hear and make sense of, let alone trust as a law of life to live by. How honest is that? The thing that I was talking to you about yesterday Thinking, feeling. It's very useful. It's a very useful thing, this little schnoggin up here. Remember what I told you about your gut? You actually have those neurotransmitters, neuropeptides. Your gut was your first brain, as these animals that we are. This was secondary. One of the things about the meditation that I was showing you yesterday, of feeling your body, is you can actually listen to that gut feeling. You first have to push through the anxiety. Most of us have anxious feelings. That's what stop, stops us. And that's really everyone's universal. Like people say, I don't know, I'm not anxious. Everyone's anxious. That's, that's the first. Then on top of that, we have our other things. 
feeling. So what the thing that she's writing about, I'm having these gut feelings, she's verbalizing, maybe not connecting it, that she knows inside what needs to happen. So sitting with that will be revealing what the next step is. When you sit with that gut feeling. Five minutes a day, sit with yourself. Don't sit to get relaxed. Don't sit to get comfortable. Don't sit with questions. Sit and be like, what am I feeling? We're on such a mission from the second we wake up, even if you don't have a job, to the second we go to sleep. We never sit and check with ourselves. So this stranger that you call yourself, you don't know who you are. You know the masks. You know the tap dances. I'm a victim, help me. I can take care of the world. I'm angry. It's like, go inside. So the first, the gatekeeper is the anxiety. And even that alone, if you can feel that, it'll change a lot. Because when you, when you name something, it loses power over you. I'm like, this guy's a thug. Okay, already my key's going to go in my pocket. My wallet's going to go in. 45 comes out. I'm like, ready. If I'm like, this guy keeps, someone keeps punching me. I'm not even looking. Like, no, everything's good. Everything is good. The thug is the anxiety. Oh, I got this thug here. Okay, the thug. And I'm just going to like, just check this out. We're all being forced to go to that place right now. So, again, I said to you yesterday, you can do one thing that you can take out of here. Five minutes a day, sit with yourself. So how about sitting for a couple of minutes now? See what the next thing is that needs to get revealed. Questions? Well, what struck me the most about what you just read was in the second paragraph. Mm -hmm. She said how lonely and isolated mm -hmm. she would start to feel if she started to confront these things. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that's really honest because it's kind of like everybody else is like on this stream and you kind of feel like you're, yeah. I mean, I live in Manhattan, so kind of like literally like a swarm of people and you kind of yeah. disconnect from that. It, it's hard to do. You're swimming upstream. Yeah. So, yeah. and it was related to the dream I had last night. I'll say which it. Which was, um, I dreamed a very vivid dream that we were sitting in a circle and we were all smoking pot, <laughs> <laughs> which is funny because I'm... I haven't been stoner since college, and I'm a mom, and you know it was just. But it, and afterwards, I went to my real life, and everyone was like, "Oh, yeah, you guys were all just getting high at Omega." When mm. it's not like we're high on the same thing, we're sharing an experience that mm. people don't quite understand, mm. and that's one of the biggest issues that I'm kind of working on here is this kind of feeling that being connected to other people and living your life with other people and affecting other people positively by, you know, example, but yet that feeling really confronting this work, you're kind of all of a sudden pulling yourself out of the stream and beautiful. lonely. Yeah. It's really beautiful. So. Remember too, really our experience is a place of loneliness. It's so beautiful what you're saying. The pot thing's interesting too, because, <laughs> well, I mean, you need to be in drug treatment, obviously, but... <laughs> uh, <laughs> The, the, the pot, no, the pot thing is very interesting because the pot thing is two things. One is giving up control, yeah. right? Because we smoke pot to give up control. I really don't smoke pot. It never, never was my thing. I think you guys are pussies with pot. Go for the harder drugs. <laughs> um, but it is a giving up of control, but it's also stepping out of culture. One of the amazing things about the work that I do is how lonely everyone is. People have kids. They're gay. They're straight. They have lovers. Everyone's lonely. Now, an interesting thing about the lonely thing, alone the word alone, once you drop into a little bit deeper, it becomes all one. Alone is this side of it, where the hands cover in the connection with the fingers. All one is this, when this drops. So if you can drop into the aloneness, you can actually go to that all oneness. 
But because we never push past this anxiety, how often do we just sit around just like this? I mean, literally what I was telling you to do yesterday. If we just sat here for three days and didn't say anything, hung out and really didn't do anything, you couldn't bring your iPads, iPods, whatever your crack thing is. <laughs> and we just kind of sat around, looked at each other, judged each other a little bit. Man, that guy's got hair. I wish I had hair bastard. <laughs> that guy's a nice shirt. I remember going to Arizona, bastard. We did, this, we did this little thing. A lot would change because we gave permission. The intention thing is really big. Remember what we talked about, intention and action. You can do an action with one intention, it'll have one result. You can do that same action with a different intention and have a different result. Just writing as these intentions, or just even putting a blank piece of paper, it's like my intent is like, I want to change. Remember, we don't want to change. This is the battle. This is the anxiety. It's this. I always do this. One hand saying, yeah, 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 come up. This hand's going, no, no, no. It's just that we're blind. Our, our left eye is blind. It doesn't see the left hand that's saying no. It sees the right. I don't understand why nothing's coming. I'm always, I'm, I'm open to everything. Come, come. Spiritual work is like, or this. It's like sometimes this eye is so damaged you're not going to see. It's just, hey, do it. It's here. Oh, oh, uh, okay. I don't know. I don't know if I want to do this. And then you start doing this.